Okay, it's Swedenborg Live. Thanks for hanging out, everybody. My name is Curtis, and I will be hosting for this. We're going to get to talk about the best things that you can talk about in life. And here to help me do it is two excellent panelists. First, we have Chelsea. Chelsea, how are you doing? Hey, Curtis, and hi, everybody watching. I am doing well. I had a nice, you know, relaxing, long weekend because of the holiday break, and so I feel refreshed and, and ready to go and grateful to get to be here. Excellent. Good. Well, we're going to need that energy tonight. I can tell the questions are going to be tough but fair. We also have with us on the panel, Dr. Jonathan Rose. Jonathan, how are you? Hey, doing well, Curtis. Great to be with you again. I love these live shows. Uh, always exciting. And um, sending love out to everybody. And hope your holidays are going well. Very cool. All right. So we've got a couple of things to say. First of all, there's no progress bar for donations today. It's just a celebration of Giving Tuesday. So tomorrow there's this worldwide holiday called Giving Tuesday, which is where we're all encouraged to give to causes we care about. If you like what we're doing here, consider making a donation. Uh, you can make it right during the show here. You'll get your name on the screen. You'll see our total go up there. And most importantly, you'll know that you're making what we do as a not-for-profit possible. It's going to be really great. Uh, we're going to give you the games anyway. Go to offtheleft.com if you want to donate. Usually we say if we hit our goal, we do these special games at the end. We're going to do those anyway. There's a way to say thanks for all your support. But you can still support offtheleft.com slash donate. Cool. Um, you got to get live questions in. This show runs entirely on whatever you all come up with and put in the chat. So start getting those in. As I see, we already have people doing, and that's what we'll talk about. And we want to remember that there's a spiritual reality that's just as present and just as real as what's going on physically. And some of the people that we love don't have physical bodies anymore, but have moved on. So if there's anybody who has passed away and you're thinking of them and you want to honor that um, today, honor the, the, the still living spirit that they have, write it down in the chat as well. Uh, just write, write who they are and anything you want to say about them. We'll, in the end of the show, compile those in our thought brings presence section. Okay, that's it. Let's do some questions. Let's see what's on everybody's mind. The first question that we have to question today is going to be ah from John Bishop. Jesus said, oh yeah, right. I didn't have my little um, question thing. There it is. Jesus said he was in this world, but not of this world. Does Swedenborg have an alternative interpretation of that passage, which doesn't purport to infer an unreachable distance between Jesus and us? Hey, yeah, because you know what we are of this world. So are you trying to say like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm hanging out with you all, but I'm not really like you. What does it mean? What, what, what loving, great message is coming out of God in that moment? Um, does anybody know? Jonathan? Chelsea? Chelsea, what do you think? Okay. <laughs> um, well, I'll give a little thought, but then I hope I can kick it to Jonathan and he can give a more full complete response to this question. But the thing that came to my mind is that, uh, some, and so this is something that Swedenborg teaches often is that Jesus's experience was our experience 
only he did it in on a divine level what we do on a finite scale in our lives and so um we when he writes he's in this world but not of this world it makes me think of how swedenborg says that we are of this world but not of this world because we have our our minds swedenborg says are both in connected and immersed in the physical world but then also integrated and active and connected to the spiritual world so it's not something the spiritual world isn't something we enter at the end of our lives it is the active life and inner experience um that we have current like in this world and so uh but anyway i'm curious to see what jonathan might have to say about it that was what came to my mind well wait 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 because first i want to say something which is yeah the um we were just talking about the thought brings presence section of the show, which is honoring that ongoing connection, but also like behind me on this board, hopefully illegible. These are the notes that I was writing for some content we're coming up with for the off the left eye experience, which is in June where we're talking entirely about the ongoing immediate interaction between the spiritual and physical side of things. So I just felt like, yeah, that's that's worth pointing out. Okay, let's give the people what they want. Jonathan, what's going on with Jesus talking about being in the world but not of the world? Well, I I like this phrase. I I don't think it means um, an unreachable distance because, um, as Chelsea was saying, it's um, uh, Jesus actually came to be as close to us as possible. That was the whole project, and um, so I, I think. He's using that term, the world, in a particular way that the New Testament does. I dug up a passage real quick from 1 John 2 that says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. So that pretty clearly, I whiz through that, but it sets up a contrast between God and the world. And and uh, Swedenborg uses that phrase, love of the world, out of that that passage. Um, and so I think when he says he's in the world, means he's, he's present with everybody, but he's not mired in the things that make this world work. And you notice, too, in Scripture that um, the devil is referred to a number of times. Swedenborg doesn't believe in one sort of devil who's, who's the opposite of, of God or something, but, but um, it calls him the prince of this world. In other words, that's, again, kind of a dark use of the word world. Uh, so the Lord was present with, with this world uh, but was not engaged in that dark side of it that 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 goes on. He was here to save us from all that. Am I making sense? It's it's a great point that, and this is something that I'm seeing reflected all over in Swedenborg that you can be in something but not of it. Uh, I was just for something else. Using this divine providence quote, 220, if we're digging things up, business, this is about um, being in the love of the world without being 
all about the love of the world. Business is talking about business and, and when is it ethical? Business is useful when it is the real love and money is a subservient supporting love, provided the merchant avoids and recoils from fraud and deceptive practices as sins. So it sounds like, hey, you can be you can be in the even in the love of the world as in you enjoy getting money from things, as long as that's not the point. As long as the point is to allow you to do whatever useful function can raise that kind of money. So that's like, I'm here, I'm in, because you think about it too, it wouldn't, it's comforting the idea that Jesus went through everything that we go through and that he, he bore those uh, same kind of burdens, but it's not that comforting to think that he really, oh, that would be so fun to bully this person, or I'm going to do this means that he actually became of them. That's not very comforting. I get that he could feel like the struggle and the resistance and the despair, but him actually thinking, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm going to tie this guy's shoelaces together and that's fun, like we are prone to do, that wouldn't be good. So, okay, cool. Thank you so much, John Bishop. Way to kick us off in style. Let's, before we go to the next one, I just want to say, off to leftie.com slash donate. You can help us do what we do. You can, you can um, break the ice. People right now are saying, How, do I donate? What do I do? Should I do it? Is anyone going to do it? And if you're the first one, other people follow. That's just how it works. Okay, next. This is from Matthew Bush, who asks, how does Swedenborg interpret? Shall, hey, this is another biblical interpretation one. Shall be cut off from the peoples in the word. Is that a death sentence? Right now I'm reading where God is telling Moses how to do the sacrifices and the do's and don'ts around the camp. So again, we get some some confusing words from God that seem to be against universal love and love for the human race. God's talking about how people shall be cut off from peoples in the word. Jonathan, what are we talking about? Okay, yeah, they the um so often in Swedenborg's interpretation of scripture it comes down to things being attributed to God that actually people are bringing on themselves, which to me is a more realistic kind of explanation. Um, in other words, uh, it's not literally that if you don't follow these 613 commandments of the you know, Old Testament, uh, you'll, be, you'll die or you'll, you'll physically die or something like that. But uh, I believe what it's about is that if we turn our backs on the principles of love that are encoded in the Ten Commandments uh, and in being a good person and, and uh, avoiding evil and you know, mistreatment of each other and damaging each other and those sorts of things, uh, if we avoid those things, then we can be part of the quote-unquote people. In other words, uh, part of heaven is really what it's talking about. And that if we self-select out of that by um, uh, turning our backs on that, we'd rather be focused on something self-centered or harmful or, or uh, those sorts of things, uh, then we cut ourselves off from the people. So the, the threat is kind, kind of true, but you have to put it in the right ear to have it make, make sense. Cool. Yes. Yeah. So flip the perspective. This is not 
God saying, here's how I'm going to punish you. This is more like, hey, if you never put on deodorant, your, your social life is going to suffer. This is just how it is. So the spiritual equivalent of that. Yeah, I love it. Chelsea, did you have any further thoughts on it? Yeah, and I just love that the way Swedenborg interprets the Bible and what he writes about it can be taken in so many so many different ways so that there's sort of a, a level that it applies as Jonathan was saying. And then Swedenborg also says that those stories tell us something about what Jesus was going through, um, you know, and his process so that it ultimately is a picture of our regeneration um, as well. And that it sort of applies on all of those levels. And so I was thinking about how it can also be a picture of within our own minds, uh, those things, those, those states that are described by the outcome being that you get cut off from the peoples is like those, those are states of mind that are cut off from the peoples, meaning like not being connected to God and love and, and things like that. So it's like, it's not sort of, well, if you do this, then you're going to get punished in this way. Uh, it's sort of teaching you that state in and of itself is just a sort of, you're, you're isolating from the reality of love from, you know, everything that Jonathan was describing. But so it's, I sort of use it as, and just like looking up one of the, it comes up a lot, um, the sort of being cut off from the peoples and, uh, one of them is like a state of the love of self. And so the sense of, yeah, when I'm in that, if I'm in that frame of mind, that doesn't believe that there's anybody else or that I'm connected. Usually there's a lot of fear that I'm not, you know, that I don't belong or that, you know, it's sort of its own spiral that just isolates and gets uh, more and more cut off from the people. So it's almost a message of like, oh yeah, there's a way, you know, these sacrifices are, or doing things right is like actually sort of a pathway of how do I connect back to remembering how connected we are and what, you know, those, those other truths. So it's, it's a fun way to do, I feel like Swedenborg, it helps a lot in bringing a contemplative reading to the Bible. Love that uh, point you make about what, what are the peoples, but it's not really talking about, literal people, the peoples are the, right, the part of you that, as you said, is connected to heaven and to God and that everything that comes up in these stories is creating a map of the mysterious and often hidden spiritual, psychological processes that go, in us, go on in us and really giving us a, a better understanding of how that works and why. And so it's just a really important dimension of that to, to remember. We got some donations, man. We had... Mike, who supported us in honor of his children. Thank you so much. And then we had an anonymous contribution come in. Thank you so much, everybody, for making what we do possible. Loved getting to hear what you had to say, Jonathan and Chelsea. I think let's let's go on to question number three. We're making good time on this. Rachel McBride asks, I have wondered if Emmanuel Swedenborg ever got frightened while engaging with spiritual dimensions. If so, how did he manage his fear? Yeah. What is it? Was it all fun and games? Was he relatively detached? What was it like to have the veil split in two and you suddenly can see what goes on on the other side? Chelsea, what, what was he going through? Yeah. Well, I feel like this is definitely something we could sort of toss around a bit, but so I'm just going to give one thing to start. 
which is uh, rather even talking about whether or not he got frightened. I think he did, but maybe one of you can say something more about that. But managing his fear, the first thing that comes to mind is he prayed a lot and would say the the Lord's Prayer, as it's called, and um, would even sing. And anyway, so he had, he had like, uh, using, using scripture and using calling on the Lord as ways to help manage his fear is what comes first to my mind. Yeah, that's a great point. And that sort of brings up for me that he had really two major kinds of fear. It seems like there was the journal of dreams sort of fear where he was really overwhelmed by it. It sounds like from his accounts and was using those tools like you described Chelsea, where he would, he would pray and he would write about his anguish a lot. He, I, I'm, I'm worried that I'm a sinner. He was worried that he was going to be overwhelmed by negative spiritual forces. And then there's a kind of fear that occurs not exclusively, but a lot in the, his journal of spiritual experiences, which is kind of after his awakening where all kinds of horrifying stuff will be going on around him, but he's in the core of it totally uh, believes that God is make, taking care of him. And he feels this sort of invulnerability. So even if he'll, he'll even describe like I was in my bed and all night, these spirits were harassing me and they made my joints joints ache. And I, but I, the Lord was protecting me. So somehow he has those. It's not exclusively that because I was just reading an account in one of the memorable relations with a guy. There's a spirit that I'm sure both of you would recognize this that has a hat with corners on it. And he's got like his feet are on fire and it's all correspondences. And Swedenborg says, um, don't come any closer. Just talk to me from where you are. I, like, I, I don't. So even after all that battle hardened, all that time, he still <laughs> wanted to keep his distance. And I do know that sometimes even angels, he talked about them having the, the horrific things in the in the hell side of, of life kind of filtered so that they would see them, but not really see them. Those aren't useful coping mechanisms like Chelsea was describing, but interesting factoids. Well, Jonathan, what, what do you think? Yeah, it's a very interesting question, and I agree. And I was thinking of a similar story, not the same one you described um, about the hat, but um, there's another one where uh, a, a couple, actually, a man and a woman come up from hell, and they're outside his window, and he closes the window and says, come no nearer, you know, <laughs> so again, it he doesn't say I was afraid, but his actions, you know, the way that he reports his actions seems to imply that he was, Hey, you know, talk to the hand kind of thing. Sometimes he had to keep these people at arm's distance and, and uh, try to deal with them that way. I, I, it, the thought had occurred to me a while ago in some of um, Swedenborg's descriptions that um, you may have heard me say before that, Every day was Halloween for for Swedenborg. He, he saw just terrifying things. The way that these uh, spirits would would look in the light of heaven was just ghastly. You know, these were horrifying. But he was surrounded by crowds of these evil spirits, and he is fond, as Curtis was saying. I remember the phrase that he used is that you know not one hair on my head was harmed. 
um, so I don't know that he gives us a real clue. It'd be nice to have something like that. It was so much less of a psychological time period in the 18th century. You know, uh, it just seems like people didn't talk about mechanisms for dealing with anxiety or, or think, you know, that, that sort of interiority seems to have, have developed. Not that people weren't dealing with those things, but I, I just, I haven't seen him or other writers talk about that a lot specifically, you know, how does he deal with his anxiety? But the fact that he keeps saying this phrase and he is very fond of, there's a passage in the old Testament about you shall lie down and none shall make you afraid and, and that kind of thing. And um, uh, I think he realizes after the attack sometimes, wow, I'm really unharmed. Like, yes, I felt this strange pain in my teeth or my elbow or whatever it was, you know, or it felt like these guys were trying to attack me. But the fact is, I was absolutely safe in the in the Lord. It hasn't deterred me one bit. It's just made me clearer about my mission. You know, they didn't destroy anything. My mind still works. My heart still works. And, and um, I wonder through the sheer repetition where he somehow along the way he developed some trust that, wow, you know, even no matter how horrible these people are, I, I come out of it unscathed and I, I just keep going. In fact, I feel stronger and clearer about what I'm doing. So I think of, um, anyway, I think I'll, I'll leave it there and, and let others uh, weigh in, but uh, those are some thoughts. I, Go ahead. I just want to weigh in with some thanks for donations. And then we can get back to the, to this the conversation of fear. Um, we had Gail contribute. Thank you, Gail. Also, oh, and Gail gave in memory of Lynn. So thank you for for picking this space to honor Lynn. And we had Erica and John give, and also Robert in memory of Molly. So thank you so much, everyone, for making it possible to do this kind of work. Okay. Fear. Chelsea, what do you think? <laughs> yeah. Well, I loved, Jonathan, that you that you brought it back to, or you landed on trust there at the end, because that's what I was thinking, hearing you both speak, was how that, uh, that was really what, like, what did Swedenborg do to manage his fear was just reaffirm his trust in, in God. Uh, and I think just continually reaffirming that over and over. And I also realized after I had shared my thought, with what you were saying, Curtis, was, yeah, there does seem to be a distinct, the early phase of his spiritual experiences when he's writing his journal of dreams, that gives a lot of, you feel the fear that he's dealing with sometimes, you know, in his, in what he writes there. Whereas then later, I feel like you get more of those passages that we, uh, that I think you were mentioning of him being like, why well, I can be surrounded, you know, on all sides with, with evil spirits wanting to attack me, but I'm not afraid at all because, you know, I know I trust that God is protecting me. So it's, it's cool to think of the, the process of how he got to that trust, like you were describing Jonathan and, um, and two, one little thing, uh, a passage that jumped to mind. So this is from journal of dreams, but it's something I uh, saved because I, I love the message that he's describing here. And one is um, 
he calls it his motto. I mean, I don't know how that is in the Latin or Swedish, depending on what he was writing in for this number in Journal of Dreams. But he says his motto is, you know, thy will be done. I am thine and not mine. And uh, so let God do with me according to his good pleasure. Um, and then he, uh, he notes, he says, as a child, cast all anxiety on the Lord. And, and that's a reference, I think, also to that Bible verse about cast all your burdens on the Lord. Um, and so sort of this sense of, I think he's having to reaffirm that to himself, like, yep, the anxiety comes up and I'm going to hand it over, you know, cast your burdens on the Lord. Um, and, and then this really fascinating one, like you were saying, Jonathan, about Swedenborg, or there not being that interiority or like, I'm sure there was evidence of it, but it was like after Swedenborg's day that the field of psychology became something, you know, beyond just a philosophical thing. Um, and uh, in this number in Journal of Dreams, he describes saying, um, uh, when evil thoughts entered, the only thing to do was to draw to oneself the breath. So the evil thoughts vanished. So that's a fascinating statement to me. And it just describes this sense of like, there's evil coming up. Let me just ground myself in my breathing, which is very contemplative and very sort of mindfulness, mindfulness-based stress reduction. Thank you, Swedenborg <laughs> from the 1700s. So uh, I think that's maybe another way that he managed his fear. I never, I feel like I never heard that about him taking the breath in makes total sense though. I mean, there's nothing better you can do when anything unpleasant comes up than just like take that in. Um, yeah, I, that, that was, those were a couple of really great examples. Thank you. And we want to say thanks to a couple more people. Uh, Gina, thank you for your contribution. I hope I'm pronouncing it right, Renee. And she said, thank you to Karen and Curtis for answering my questions. We're, we're really uh, pulling in some awesome money to help spread the word. So thank you, everybody. We, we really appreciate it. Let's, um, let's see if we can do another question. Oh, I remember something that I wanted to say about what you were saying, Chelsea, which is you, you're mentioning cast the cares on the Lord as a little child, which I love that line and, learn, and learning to trust. And it was, I think, all that work he did in his early phase that gave him this state in the later phase where he had that trust, he had to go through this. I, I, I really can't, even though I'm this really successful, really smart person, I've been broken down to a point where I just realized I can't, I can't do anything. I can't run my own life. It's if God will take care of me or he won't, he had that really real experience, which at the time probably was no fun, but it sure paid off in that now he was able to go on this, the terrifying safari in order to teach the rest of us. And he was like, maybe like when you're watching a movie and something scary, but you know, you're going to be okay. It was the same kind of vibe for him. So that's what we can be aspiring to is building that same kind of trust in whatever way the Lord can do it. Okay. Let's, uh, let's do another question before we hit our halfway point here. This is from Tara Ray who asks in the chapter of John, before where the famous John 3.16 resides, Jesus talks seemingly randomly about the wind. I can't figure out a way to put that one verse into context. Why did he say that? 
I don't know if this, I'm assuming it's where Jesus says, you don't know the way of the wind where, where it blows, right? What's he talking about? Jonathan, do you know? The, um, there's such infinite depths in, in scripture, uh, but that conversation is fascinating. It's where there was um, one of the scribes and Pharisees, I think, Nicodemus, you know, one of the leaders of Israel came to meet with Jesus by night. I think he didn't want to be seen or something, but he still had curiosity. And so he asks a question uh, of Jesus and, and um, they very quickly get into a conversation that Nicodemus finds entirely mind boggling. He just, he can't keep up. He can't figure out what's going on. And the topic seems to be rebirth, this idea of being born again. You know, Jesus is saying things about, how, and Nicodemus is getting confused, like, do I have to enter my mother's womb again? And and Jesus kind of counters, are you a teacher of Israel and you don't know these things? Like, this is what it is. You know, this is what religion is, is how you change, how you become an angel, uh, how you go to heaven. I'm paraphrasing there, obviously. And then he says these things about the wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it but you don't know where it comes from or where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the spirit. And I've thought about that passage a lot. I, I don't expect to ever plumb the depths of it, but part of what it makes me think is that I, I love every now and then, I don't know if you've had this experience, uh, people who are watching this show, but you encounter people who are, who are led by the spirit. Like there's something a little mysterious about where they come from. Why are they? You, so the, it's interesting. You hear the sound. There's some evidence, but you don't actually know where it's coming from and, and where it's going. You, you just hear it as it's going past you. And I think of people who are led by the Spirit, um, by which I just mean that they have kind of spiritually directed lives. They're not chasing the usual thing of the the mighty dollar or you know sexual satisfaction or whatever it might be. Uh, they're they're pursuing something. Um, that, that comes from a higher level, not that it wouldn't, can't involve money and lovemaking and everything else, but, but, um, uh, and so you see the evidence of it in their lives, but you don't know what, what is whispering to them at three in the morning that's making them do what they do. You know, where, where's that wind coming from? Because the wind, uh, in the Greek and in the Hebrew, uh, is the same as the word spirit, like spirit and wind and breath are all the same word, which is kind of fascinating. So there's a word play in that passage. And so um, it's this kind of breath of God, this, this spirit that's, that's flowing in and people who are born of that. Generally, Swedenborg says that the word spirit relates to truth. If you divide the world up into truth and love, spirit is a truth-related word. So it's some, some truth, some insight coming into your mind and, and guiding you uh, that others can see the evidence of, but they don't really know what your uh, goal is or what you're headed for. There's something a little mysterious, and I would say free. Swedenborg says a lot of beautiful things about freedom, and I think there's a, a freedom in being um, spirit-led. How am I doing? Is that making any sense? Yeah, absolutely. I think... It makes all the sense in the world. 
I love that idea of the, the, the spirit being or wind being spirit. And uh, it's almost like you see that a little bit in, in little kids who Swedenborg's does are surrounded by the highest angels that you just can't, it, one of the charming things about them is you can't quite figure out the logic for this, the <laughs> non sequiturs that they make, or why are we doing this now? Or where'd that come from? But it's still surprising and delightful. Chelsea, what do you think? Yeah, it was making me think of um, our previous question and conversation about uh, trust and that, you know, when you're being, being born of the spirit is being able to trust in the divine leading, you know, being led by the divine rather than by ourselves, you know, thy will be done, not my will be done. Like I just quoted from Swedenborg and, and uh, as his motto and stuff. And that's like, uh, when that really becomes like the way you live every day, then you're not in charge of where the wind's blowing, you know, you're just being led. Uh, and so it's not about where it came from or where it's going. It's just what's happening right now. And um, in contrast to, and it's interesting to be speaking to Nicodemus. So a, you know, biblical scholar of the day um, it's there's uh, in Proverbs, I guess it's, or I'm sorry, Ecclesiastes, it's all about, there's this repeated refrain of chasing after the wind and how you need like this connotation of don't chase after the wind or what is chasing after the wind. And there's this sense of like taking what is of God and making it your own, you know, like I'm going to plan my life. I'm going to figure out what I'm doing here. I'm going to get this done and that done. And that's sort of this chasing after wind, wanting to be the, the power that moves things through the world. And so to be born of the spirit though, is to sort of relinquish chasing after the wind and letting it be the wind blows where it wishes, you know, you don't know where it's coming from. You don't know where it's going, but you're being, you're being led uh, by the divine. And, um, and then that connects in my mind to, gosh, maybe it's an upcoming um, NCE spotlight on the inside off the left eye podcast stream, but there's a number that we t spoke about um, about angels and how they live entirely in the present moment and their happiness comes from the fact that they don't worry about the past or project from the past into the future. They just stay present. And that seems to connect here. I think of like, well, whatever the wind's doing in the past and wherever the wind is taking me in the future, I'm just going to be here now. And that's really all that's, that's exactly what the Lord wants me to do. You know what the divine's will for me is. So, sorry, I was muted. <laughs> what I was trying to say is, there you go. There's some awesome context and interpretation for Jesus's words, which would contain an, an infinity of possibility in them. But I love the the concrete nature of what both of you were saying. I'm excited to, you know, there's a little toy flower that's sitting out in our yard that came by accident. It was meant to be uh, somebody else's delivery, but somehow it ended up at our, at um, my wife's dad's house and then they gave it to us. But I love that little flower. I remember like last winter when I was getting all anxious and depressed, it was just like bright and outside and spinning when everything else was gray and dead. And, and it just goes with the wind, you know, it just goes with the wind. So um, the, it's like a, it's like a, very specialized lily that moves exactly with the wind. 
Hey everyone, we're at the we're at the halfway mark, and we just want to take a second to say thanks to all of you. It's time for our monthly donor raffle. Dun, 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 dun. That starts someday. Someday we'll get a real sound effect for that. That starts with an acknowledgement of everybody who's given in this month, which is probably November. Yeah, look at that. Pause. If you want to see yourself on there, uh, take a screenshot. Thank you. That's just so awesome to think. Just this month, all those people pitched in um, and made our nonprofit work possible. And we want to prove that we're grateful by giving a little something back in our monthly donor raffle. So we have three raffles we do. We'll go through them in order. This is the first one. This is the all donor raffle. So if you had your name on that list, you may be a winner but there can only be one. The winner is Bonnie Gates. Bonnie wins, deservedly so. Heaven and Hell, the book, or the audio book. Your choice to keep and read or gift to a friend. Excellent uh, book, either way you slice it. Thank you, Bonnie, for donating this month. Next is our new donor raffle. So if you made your first donation ever to Swedenborg Foundation this month, you're entered in this raffle. And the, the lucky newbie is Catherine Howard. Welcome, Catherine, to our community of donors. We'd love to send you Divine Love and Wisdom, the portable NCE edition, or the audio book. Your choice. So appreciate you taking that step to make a donation. And finally, there's the recurring donor raffle. If you set up a regular gift that comes in every month, super helpful to us in our planning and, and knowing what we've got going forward. And so you get your own raffle. Let's I think it's there, but my internet's like slowed out. Can you guys hear me? <laughs> Hello? I can hear you. Okay, cool. I just can't see it. I just can't see it. <laughs> okay, Robert Ainsley. Robert Ainsley. Thank you so much. What's the prize? I can't see the prize. It's one of Swedenborg's books. <laughs> and you're going to love it. It's either in ah, Divine Providence. It's either in the portable edition or the audio book. Thank you, Robert, for making that donation. Sorry for my digital fidgetiness. Okay. Hey, if you're just joining us and you want to get in on that party, go to optoleft.oops, I hit the desk, which means you're going to hear that through my mic. Go to optoleft.com slash donate and you can be a part of it. Oh, is everybody seeing my paused face or is it just me? What do you see, Chelsea? I mean, I I see the that screen is frozen, but yeah, I'm yeah. not sure if the live it's a, show is seeing it frozen. <laughs> it's a pretty good looking shot. You know, it looks like I'm about to say something. Okay. You can speak um, for right. us. They say we're good. Okay. So they, okay. you all at home, you can see it. No, just let the, don't pay any attention to what I was just saying. Okay. Let's go to the next question because we did it. We did all the raffles. Okay. Next, we have Colin Vickers who asks, would you express your experiences of abiding in a present state of goodness beyond the concept of doing good, replete with its varieties of self-centered or other motivations? How do you get or stay there? So Swedenborg always talks about you're trying to be good. You're trying to abide in goodness and truth. 
What's it like if either of you feel like you've ever been there to be in a state of goodness beyond just, oh, I was doing this obvious good action because you could be doing that for any reason. So what's it like? How do you stay there? Jonathan, what do you think? I'll, I'll kick this off and then hopefully Chelsea will say something that'll trigger something in my head or you will Curtis. And, and, um, but the first thought that I get from that is that, um, remember reading Swedenborg talking about, um, that angels actually from time to time fall down from heaven and, uh, then they're lifted back up into, into heaven. And uh, they go into states of melancholy, it says at some point, I think. And, and uh, this was such a shock to me, like, when I was younger, like, how could you fall out? How could you fall out of heaven? But as I went through life, I started to think, wait a minute, how do you stay there? <laughs> like, uh, I can get into a great state, but then I like slide right out of it. And I even wrote a song about this for my album called Clear Shining After Rain, a song called Rise Up. And uh, it speaks in the lyrics there about and learn to stay on hallowed ground, you know, uh, like that's a challenge um, uh, to me. I, I think it's mainly uh, what I do, frankly, is um, try to focus on my repentance, although I don't do well at that all the time, but, but um, uh, trying to get the obstacles out of the way because it's almost like not sneezing when you need to sneeze. Like it's, you might think, well, I don't want to sneeze. Well, I'm not going to sneeze. And then you know, if you, if you need to sneeze, you'll, you'll sneeze. Something sort of takes over. And, and um, so I don't know if if staying in that good state, and I like the question, I find the question very interesting because I think what you were driving at there, Colin, was the idea of um, uh, not just the doing of good, you know, not just being useful and and engaged, which, as you say, can come from a variety of motivations but really getting into a, a good state, what Swedenborg might call a heavenly or celestial state, a state in which you're driven by love, where, where you're actually feeling the love. You're not going through the motions. It, it's actually a genuine thing. And all I can think of at this point is that that's very much what the Lord wants to do with us. That's the point of the makeover is to get us to a point where we can, in a way you could put it as salvation is, is for those who can stand heaven. <laughs> you know, if we're in an evil state, we can't stand it, and we dive out. And so uh, salvation, in a way, is getting to the point where you can tolerate being in that state of love, being around love like that, and can stay there. Now, that's a, that's a gift from the Lord, but it's something that our repentance helps us uh, be, be ready for gradually over time. And a lot of the instruction that we get in the spiritual world is to help us get better at uh, staying there. Those are some thoughts. Mm, I love that so much. So, so good. I uh, was thinking similarly along the lines of um, repentance and not so much, or again, sort of taking it in a contemplative, like mindful connect direction. I think of um, repentance almost as like, well, it means 
to turn, you know, like returning and turning and, and how important repeated action is to build a habit in ourselves. You know, like we have to build that habit up. Um, and you really are, you know, I remember learning from either reading it or hearing it about, you know, how you can actually train your brain to be compassionate. You know, like compassion is like a muscle and you can, uh, you can exercise it and exercise it about to yourself and to other people. And, um, but I think it's, it's possible to exercise it, not like in the doing good way that you're describing, but even just in uh, taking time for meditation and connecting to a sense of, of compassion and the presence of, you know, the divine's love for you and for all things that's, that's present with us. So that's what I was thinking of in reading the question of like abiding in a present state of goodness. And I don't know what exactly you meant by it, but it, it brings to mind that like the reality is that there is this loving presence, this present state of goodness always around us. And then we sort of get uh, tuned out to it. We get cut off from it. We get focused on, you know, outer concerns and things like that, that, you know, distract us and, and get us caught up in other things so that we forget. And so it's that same, that sort of practice of, uh, choosing to reconnect to the presence of, of love and goodness that's in every moment that we can connect to, um, is for me sort of how I get there. And as far as like staying there, uh, I liked what you're saying too, Jonathan, uh, there's a number in Sw where Swedenborg writes that the Lord alone governs the changes of state in a person. So it's like, the waves are just moving, you know, we, that wind is blowing and we don't necessarily control those states, but we have our consciousness that we can, uh, like a key word that Swedenborg uses is reflection. We can reflect on our state and that power of, of awareness of being able to even just notice what's going on for ourselves and then choose, use our power of choice to connect to how can I hold, you know, what I'm going through with love? You know, what's the most loving way I can hold myself or this situation? Um, but to even ask that question, we have to reflect on our state. Notice, oh, I am, you know, really enraged right now, or I am really caught in anxiety or what, whatever the state is. Uh, there's a way that that's happening and you can still reflect on it and trust that there is a, a loving perspective that can hold all of what's happening no matter what. So it's almost like we don't stay there. We know that it always stays there. You know, it's always there. And we can start to trust that it's always there, even as we're, you know, going through lots of changes of state in the, in the outer experience of ourselves. Yeah, it's like the sun. I'm, as you're describing that, I'm thinking of the ways in which I trust that the sun will return. Right now, I'm looking out these windows behind my monitor, and it's just pitch black out there. But I'm like, I know the sun is coming back, and I'm living my life in in that belief. And when it's overcast, I understand that it will get 
undercast? What's the opposite of overcast? So I, I, I love that. The, the, the state's always there, but we, we, we sometimes get to, to vibe with it. And sometimes we just got to remember it. I would say for, for Colin's question, it's so hard to know like what's, what's the present state of goodness. How do I know when I'm in goodness? There's times when I feel a particular urge to do something that I would think is good. You know, recently I was feeling like, Oh yeah, I really want to get some cool presents for my wife for Christmas. What, what would she, I got to think of what she likes. And it wasn't because, Oh yeah, I've got to, it's coming up. But I was like, man, there's probably something that would, really make her happy. So those things come up sometimes, but if I had to say, what's like a recurring thing where I feel like I'm in a state of goodness, goodness loves truth and truth loves goodness. So there's definitely a state that I get into when I just feel like the truths are like fireworks. They just fill me up with some, uh, this is particularly usually triggered when I'm reading Swedenborg or have been. And I hear these concepts and it's like, oh, that is just it. That is central to existence. And I totally feel like I can sustain this idea of I live from these things that, that I don't have cravings for other stuff. Like I don't, I don't want to check my phone right now. I don't want to, don't need to do anything else. I just, oh, I just want to see the world through that way. And that can even bleed into activities sometimes. Like now I'm doing the dishes and I'm thinking about correspondences and this is really great. And it's enough that that's, that's where I want to be. And it, it's like the wind. I can't get it to come. It does, but it's often, it can be triggered by reading Swedenborg. That's part of why I like to read Swedenborg, but it doesn't always get triggered by reading Swedenborg. So you can't guarantee it. And it can sometimes get triggered just by thinking about things. But yeah, occasionally it feels like oh, I'm on a truth roll and it, it's probably really because I'm in some kind of goodness state because goodness loves truth. And that's why I know those same factoids at other times, but they're not exciting to me when I'm not in a state of goodness. So that's a couple of thoughts on that. Oh, Jonathan, do you want to, you want to round it out here? Yeah. I just said uh, one brief additional thought, which was that um, uh, in my own experience, uh, there was a, a long battle to get into a good state about working. And then I was able to get into that good state. Uh, eventually, you know, by sheer repetition and, and habit and so on, that that uh, I, I'm almost always in a in a a good state when I'm working, and then a longer battle was to get into a good state when I'm doing like housework and dishes and vacuuming and stuff like that. I'm making some headway there, and now the battle seems to be about well, during my downtime, can I maintain in that? You know, in that state, it won't be the same as as when you're doing your work. But do I just you know go to hell on the weekends? <laughs> you know, commute or something, or or do I can I stay in a good state even when I'm kind of unplugged from those other things? And so it's been kind of a skirmish and a changing field of of war. Not to get too military on you, but um, that's one additional thought there. Yeah, sometimes I'll do extra work in my downtime to keep a good state going. Really, because 
yeah, it, it, there is something about focusing in on that. If you've managed to get that to be particularly the, the kind of work we're all fortunate enough to get to do, it can be that if I feel like I'm kind of aimless, I'm drifting and my thoughts just naturally drift into everything negative, that oh, I'm just going to pull up my laptop, do a few little things. It can, it can pick you up. Work-life balance is important, but sometimes work is <laughs> picking me up. Okay, let's do the next one. Okay, yeah, we can get a few more here before the end of the hour. Juan Orozco asks, was Moses an Egyptian magician? That's a good band name. Who at mid-age realized he was Hebrew? Does Swedenborg mention the influence of magic in Moses' books and the Ten Commandments? What does Jehovah mean in biblical depth? Quite a few questions in there. Quite a few answers forthcoming. So um, what's what's um, what what do you want to tackle first and what's the answer? Okay, Jonathan, you're up. Okay. Um I, I have some thoughts. I don't know if I can do justice to this, but um, um, one thought is that I believe that Moses knew all along that he was a Hebrew, but he was literally in Egyptian clothes and speaking Egyptian and part of the court and, and so on. And the reason I think that is that um, Moses... Uh, uh, a lot of the figures of the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures, uh, in Swedenborg's view, prefigure Jesus and stand for certain aspects of Jesus. And there's another figure who did the same thing, who was who was Joseph. Uh, Joseph is a Hebrew. He goes down to Egypt. He is so convincingly Egyptian in all his Egyptian clothing and speaking the Egyptian language that when the brothers come down during the famine, his own brothers who sold him into slavery and tried to get rid of him, uh, don't even recognize him at all. And he recognizes them. I kind of love that scene. And he's very loving to them uh, on the inside, but harsh on the outside. And I, I think there's something very rich about that image of the Hebrew inside the Egyptian. And the way Swedenborg reads that is that the Hebrew part would be a spiritual part, a part that's devoted to God, and uh, no slight to the Egyptian, but the Egyptian part would be, say, a more scientific or more worldly part. And so it's an image of having that spirituality inside um, uh, a rationality, uh, inside a, a scientific or knowledgeable. Swedenborg often says that Egypt is associated with knowledge. And it was a place of tremendous, tremendous knowledge. So uh, it's an image of how Jesus, when I think about Jesus in the New Testament, um, I love the fact that e even though he's intensely spiritual, he knows all about how people lend money at interest or what goes on with farming or agriculture or how the rich, you know, lord it over the poor. And, you know, he's no fool. He, he, he knows all that. So he's got this love in there, but it's, it's wrapped in a very convincing Egyptian, you know, this, this outer shell of knowledge. So I think of Moses in those terms as well. And uh, in terms of the magic, uh, Swedenborg is very interested in miracles, in spiritual power, and those kind of things. Uh, he differentiates just in his language, I think, 
between uh, to him, magic is the word that he would use when it turns from being something that serves God and the neighbor to something that's a darker sort of force. So when Moses is going up against the Egyptians who used to be his people, uh, Moses is able to do miracles. The Egyptians do miracles, but Moses eventually outstrips them. Like his his miracles are, are better and they get to the point where they, they, they can't keep up kind of thing. Um, so I think it's a, it's a very interesting question and more than I could probably do justice to. And the last thing I'll talk about is the name Jehovah. Jehovah is really the um, sort of a, a way of pronouncing the tetragrammaton, which is a, a yuh and then a huh, just like breathing, and then a wuh and then a huh. It almost sounds Hawaiian, you know, Yahweh. And uh, Swedenborg says that it comes from a Hebrew root, which I think is people do agree with, that has to do with being or beingness. It kind of gets to the idea of God as being that unknowable everything, the underlying reality behind everything. And the fact that it has that breathing in there twice. And Swedenborg talks about that because at one point, Abram is called Abram, and then he gets a, huh, he gets that breathing in there. And uh, that he's elevated. It's almost like the gray Gandalf and the white Gandalf or something. And and uh, Sarai is Sarai. And then she gets a, huh, and she becomes Sarah. And so that H has something to do with infinity and eternity. And the fact that there are two of them in there, those breathing kind of sounds. Uh, so I've also thought of it, this is just this is totally my own heresy now. This is not, I'm not representing the union or anything here. Uh, but uh, okay. our, I think our, our lawyers are saying that's plenty. You're good. Okay, good. <laughs> Since I was a child, I've thought about uh, vowel sounds as being in a wheel. E. You know, there's a whole circle of, of vowels. And I think that that name, this is my own heresy, was originally, you know, it had the whole circle of, of vowels in it. Uh, so it has all, and vowels, Swedenborg says, talk about our, our, have to do with our feelings. Consonants are about the thoughts, the specificity, the cognitive, you know, but that, that vowel is, is about the heart. So it's every possible feeling. I don't know. There are some thoughts. Mm. Well, I didn't think I'd have anything to say about this question, <laughs> but, but you did a phenomenal job, Jonathan. And uh, just sort of tacking on the end there, I thought about the the two H's uh, being like the inhale and the exhale. So I'm just seeing this connection of like your breathing and the wind as we were talking about and trust and sort of the un- um, and, and I'm jumping now to um, uh, Eastern, like Indian philosophy thoughts, but there's uh, the, the word Om, as we're all pretty familiar with in the Western world nowadays, um, it's called the unstruck sound, as if it's this sound that exists apart from anybody's vocal folds doing any vibrating, uh, because it's really sort of this divine life energy. And I know in the uh, Jewish faith that that name is sort of the unnameable name of God, you know, so they don't speak it 
they'll, they don't say it, they sub a different word in. And I just think there's like a, a reflection there between God being sound or breath itself and just beingness, as you're saying, um, uh, that, that brings true to me, but I'm no biblical scholar. Um, and the, but a part of that, the unstruck sound as well, one little like extra PS on that is um, that sound is because it's complete with the vowels that we say in, in the Sanskrit alphabet. So it's going from ah, the beginning ah sound that you make in the very back of your throat through all the vowel sounds to ooh at the end. And then you close your lips mm, to get the um sound. So it's um, which is the same as what you're describing, Jonathan, in terms of the circle of vowels. Um, so it's an interesting little coincidence there or not. Excellent. So there you go, Juan. It's a good, good comprehensive service for those questions. And thank you to everybody who was willing to start the conversation here and keep it going. We really appreciate it. We are here at the end of our hour and we said we would be getting to the free games today but before we do it's time for our segment on thinking of those who have gone on before it's time for thought brings presence which is by the way a law of spiritual physics as described by swedenborg that thought brings presence and love brings union so let's see who we're thinking of Today, this is what you all sent in from Bob Gay. He says he's thinking of Molly Gay. She was my best friend who taught me unconditional love. Rosemary N. is thinking of Hamilton and Ronnie. I want to honor the spirits of my son, Hamilton, who crossed over one year ago, and my husband, Ronnie, who crossed over 10 months ago. Sarah says, I just want to say it's coming on three years that my husband passed away. Miss and love him very much. He still comes to visit me every night and during the day. Sean Smith says, thinking about Marlo Smith, Dan Caves, Jimmy Alvarado, and Aunt Eileen. I'd like to mention my father, Marlo Smith, my cousin, Dan Caves, and my best friend, Jimmy Alvarado, whom as of now resides solely in the world of spirits. Janie Manasco, thinking of Scott Howard. I'd like to share my tribute to my wonderful brother-in-law, passed away in January this year. Gail Lemieux is thinking of Lynn missing my husband. I miss his wisdom and the love that he showed me every day in every way. There is no doubt we were soulmates. And finally, John Bishop. On this day in 1979, my one-year younger brother died in a horrible head-on collision with a Mack truck around this time in the evening. So he has been deeply on my mind. Thank you everyone for being willing to share that really personal stuff but but also really universal to the human experience to have that love and have to go through that loss so thank you for sharing that journey with us and and we all take strength from from each other in it so thank you everyone that's the end of our regularly scheduled programming we're now in honor of giving tuesday going to do a couple of stressful and humiliating games just for us the hosts, the rest of you will have a good time, kick back and relax. And we're going to begin with grading Swedenbot. Here we go. The Swedenbot game. I guess I'm the one leading this one, huh? So. Yeah. 
here we are. Here is our lovely Swedenbot. There he is with his wig and jacket. Um, so Swedenbot, for anyone who has yet to meet this lovely robotic being, um, is an AI, I guess, that we fed all of Swedenborg's writings to. And then we go and visit Swedenbot every once in a while and see how he's doing on um, composing Revelation himself. <laughs> uh, so he, he likes to uh, be the first bot revelator. Um, so we gave him his chance with Swedenborg. And so then we have this little fun time of grading his output. So <laughs> these are real genuine selections from what the Swedenbot created based on his comprehensive memory, if not knowledge of Swedenborg's writings. So what's the first one, Swedenbot? I love Swedenbot. <laughs> the son of humanity is going to come down into the world of spirits. This is also, <laughs> I will say, an opportunity for us to give feedback to Swedenbot for what good it might do. Well, it's like a, it's a mirror to say, what, what is the consistent spirit in Swedenborg's writings? What makes them so distinct that we'd be willing to have a show around it? You can sometimes see that in the way that Swedenbot accidentally violates the rules of Swedenborg's writings. <laughs> this one, uh, it made me laugh just because it's not that big a trip to come down into the world of spirits from <laughs> like where the sun of humanity resides. It's it's like it's like like um, we're we're going to announce a big new color to our smartphone. Like it's it's a little thing to do um, rather than Son of Man coming down into the physical world, which was a big deal. But what do you think, Jonathan? He's only got a problem with time and space. Those are the only two errors. Um, uh, one is the is going to, because Swedenborg's whole message is did already, <laughs> yeah. you know, come down into, and that he came into the world, not into the world of spirits, even though I can see how into the world, and he goes, well, you often say of spirits after you say that, which is yeah. true, but not in this context. So we have a space spirits. problem and a time problem, uh, you know, so okay. I don't know I, I, what, what kind of grade to give about that, but. It's got to be, I don't think it's an F because he's not saying something no. amoral or immoral and right. It's not flying in the face or of it. I don't theologically think I, destructive or anything. No. Right. right. With those errors that you pointed out, I think it's got to be like a D. I, I think that sounds, that sounds fair. All right. <laughs> Tough but fair. <laughs> Tough but fair. <laughs> Tough but fair. All right. Thanks. We <laughs> Let's see what you're, what's the next one you have for us. So we can tell from the word that the Lord is going to shine out. <laughs> well, <laughs> ah, man. It's, I guess it's just really funny to me, someone who is so familiar with Swedenborg's writings, that it's it's almost like an inside joke because it's not really, he wouldn't talk, he wouldn't say that. Um, no. Shine out. Like the Lord's really going to shine out. Like he's just really going to wild out out here. Like you can just tell it's not specific enough um, for Swedenborg. The Lord is going to shine out. It's not a technical term. It doesn't have any Swedenborgian meaning to it. Um, 
I have right? to just make a meta comment too, that I just think like it's, I can tell it's Swedenborg, you know, like it rings of what Swedenborg's writings say, and yet it's so not, it's so <laughs> lacking <laughs> in the substance, I guess. So that's what's yeah. partly what's fun about it. Yeah. And again, it's not destructive and, and it's hard to tell. It's almost like, what do they call it? Uncanny Valley or something, you know, yeah. where, where it's just close, but it's kind of horrifying because it's just slightly wrong and it doesn't feel good to, to see something that's kind of slightly wrong about this important okay. material. I, again, I, I'm thinking of a C or a D or something like that. It's not an F, you know, it's not just grotesquely wrong, but I might, um, I might argue in the direction of a C because it's like, it's kind of true, you know, like we can tell from the word that the Lord is going to shine out. It's just, it's just yeah. not like nailing Swedenborg theology, Swedenborgian theology. <laughs> no. Yeah, I, I, I agree. It, it's a C because the Lord does shine out of the letter of the word. I, I think it's, it's a little more there than the last one. Good job, Swedenbot-ish. All right. Well, I wonder, do we have a third one? I am, can't remember. I think we might. Okay. So people who have been regenerated are devoted to the Lord. It's pretty good, huh? It's oh, pretty good. I think that's true. Yeah. I, I, I don't have a problem with that. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's pretty great. I would say, I mean, I think it's entirely true. Only in reading it, I realized wouldn't Swedenborg often says is devoted to like uh loving which i mean it's the same thing as the like are you devoted to the lord or devoted to living a life of love for others is maybe more of like what swedenborg might say but but i mean they are the same thing really so yeah it's like the slightest bit of awkwardness but i i could even see the case for this being an a i mean what is an a supposed to be like yeah. i guess if if you put this quote up and said, is this anywhere in Swedenborg's writings? I would, I would not want to bet a bunch of money against it, you know, because it very well could be in there somewhere. That's great. Yeah, agreed. All right. Okay. So you got an A. Good work. Well, that's it for this week's or this month's Swedenborg. Awesome. We're, before we move on to our next game, I just want to say we're having some trouble with our donations link. Uh, you can email G Williams at Swedenborg.com. If you're having trouble, so sorry for those of you who wanted to show up on the board and couldn't, we'll get it sorted out. Thank you for, for bearing with us. And thanks to everyone who did make it through and make those contributions. Okay. All right. Next game we have is a classic guess that Swedenborg phrase. I mean, I guess the only like, classic would be elevator pitch because it pre-existed this format, but whatever. The, hey, so today it's going to be me hosting. There's some upgrades that have never been seen here. I'm going to host it. It's going to be Chelsea and Jonathan going head to head. And there are stakes. There are stakes. Whoever wins this does not have to be in the running for elevator pitch, <laughs> which is that aforementioned classic game that really puts you on the spot after this one. So they're also um, the guessing a um, vowel the right? phrase is only 20 instead of 25 points. Okay, 20. If you guess, if you guess a letter that's not on the board, you get minus five points. 
So the, the stakes are up a little bit. Um, okay, that's all that I'll say. Let's let's get um, guessing. So first, it looks like Chelsea is going to go. All right, I'll go with my standby letter T. Okay, there are, yes, there are six T's in this one. That is a strong start. Do you want to guess the phrase? Okay, no. Jonathan, here we go. What what would you like to do? I'd like an N. N is there three times. Okay. All right. Okay. No shame in getting three N's. Okay, Chelsea. <laughs> um, no, I'm not going to ask if you want to guess it. Don't guess it. Chelsea, what do you think? <laughs> um, L. There is one L. Ooh, almost a negative five. Okay. <laughs> Dr. Jonathan Rose, what do you think? Well, just low-hanging fruit. I'll go for a G, please. Okay. Oh, that low-hanging fruit was poisoned. Oh! What? Amazing. Ah. <laughs> I'm not telling you whether this is spelled correctly or not, but in this, <laughs> no G. Okay. Oh Chelsea. Ooh, ouch. Right. I have to think of a letter. Letters. What is the alphabet made out of? Okay. Um, <laughs> let's say C. Oh, oh, judges, what's up with C? There are no C's in this entire phrase. Told you the stakes were higher. Yeah. Okay. It's not in English, is it? It's a Swedenborg quote. Yeah, no, it's, it's yeah, it's just um, T's and L's. That's it. Okay, Jonathan, what do you got? How about F? The letter F? One F. Skin of your teeth. Okay. Oh, uh, this is this is the most intense round ever. Chelsea, what do you think? <laughs> How can all the other letters be vowels? That's just what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> Haven't we said all of the words, all the letters? Okay, um, let's go with M. M. Yes, there are two M's. Okay. Okay. Not Jonathan. <clears throat> mm. Okay, H. Oh, good one. Three H's. Start, some words are starting to be recognizable. There's one in the sort of top left that is is really starting to go somewhere. Chelsea, here we go. <laughs> um, oh, you stole my letter. H, so, um, uh, K, I'm thinking there's not going to be a K. Okay. <laughs> K is a bit of a sore spot here because there are none. But <laughs> if anyone at home is wondering, why aren't they doing more vowels? Vowels are only worth like one point and consonants are worth five points. So the big money is in the consonants. <laughs> but at some no, point. I might as well have guessed a vowel and then I wouldn't have lost yeah, that, Right. <laughs> okay, Jonathan, you're bored. This is so okay. I'll, I'll, uh, for, for the sake of my neighbor, I'll go with O. Okay. <laughs> Okay, there are three O's. <laughs> okay, it's still not English. Um, so let's see. So um, I was going to say P, but I'm probably going to lose another five points. Oh, no, of course not. Don't be pessimistic like that. P is starting pessimistic, and there are no P's. <laughs> Man, this is, this is a race to the bottom. Oh, I'm, so, I'm so glad to be hosting. Okay, Jonathan, 
<laughs> okay, I'll go with R. Are there two of them in there? I think there are. Okay. All right. <laughs> Sorry about that. Uh, do you want to do any guessing? No. Chelsea. No. V. There's a V. Hmm. Ah. Hover. Okay. Be that word. Okay. Okay. That's right. Oh, oh, oh. Darn. I'm giving it away for Jonathan. Okay, Jonathan. Uh. Oh, uh, W. There are three W's. Okay. Oh, okay. okay. The music, we're, we're switching music to slightly more intense music now because things are starting to come into focus. Okay. Jonathan, do, you want to take a, do you want to take a guess? No. Okay. I think if you guess wrong, you're like, you lose. Okay, Chelsea. I, yes, I know I should be the one that knows the rules. I have them here somewhere. Chelsea, right, what do you well, think? Man, I'm lagging behind Jonathan, but I'll just go with an E if it doesn't give it all away. Six E's. All right. There they are. Okay. Um, do you want to guess, Chelsea? Okay. Oh. Jonathan. Uh, S. Five S's. <laughs> do you want to hazard Ooh. a guess at this point? No, I think I'll let Chelsea... <laughs> Take it home. Let's see. What? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, D. D's. There are three D's. A guess. Hmm. Um. <clears throat> gosh. Um. Okay. Okay. I, I will guess. Okay, wait, let me just check the official rules here of like, what happens if somebody... <laughs> guess, well, the, the computer will know. Go ahead, Chelsea. Please guess the phrase. We have within us the ability to understand mysteries of wisdom. Oh! <laughs> oh. A guess from, from like oh, three miles away. I still don't win! That's <laughs> <laughs> so not fair. That's it's not even close to fair, but it's providence. So <laughs> that was an amazing game. What an interesting quote wow. with like no letters in it. That was amazing. <laughs> I've never been that absorbed in one of these games before, as I was just hosting it. Okay. It's, well, so it's a very cool. We don't have time for the elevator pitch. That's right. <laughs> it's a very cool thought though isn't it i mean that is one of swedenborg's things is there was this whole teaching at that time that oh you can't understand this stuff you know and that's kind of one of his hallmarks is no we do we do have the ability to, to understand these mysteries of wisdom in last judgment i think where he's talking about how after the last judgment and the shakeup and spiritual freedom was restored we were able to understand these mysteries of wisdom better as a human race. And that's why the stuff in his writings, that was a time for it to come out because now we could get it mm. before we couldn't. So what yeah. a great upgrade. Well, and even if we can understand the mysteries of wisdom, it doesn't necessarily mean we can articulate them in one minute spans of time. And with that, <laughs> here we go. It's time for elevator pitch. Sorry, I was drinking water. 
so this is either going to be me or Chelsea, and we don't know what the topic is. We have one minute to explain this topic and why it's significant, and it's for all for your viewing pleasure. And we're way over time, but we are <laughs> going to do just one of these. Here it comes. So let's spin the wheel of death. No, <laughs> I don't have to do anything this show. Okay. What, what was it? I didn't even look at the topic. What was the topic? Oh, only the book of Revelation. <laughs> okay. So listen, at classic scenario, they use this all the time in, in universities. I get on the elevator and I say, oh, hello. Can you tell me a little bit about the book of Revelation? Uh, you know, according to Swedenborg. And now a minute starts. Yeah, let's count down. Three, two, one, go. All right. So you do you suffer in your life? I would guess you probably do. Do you ever feel alone and confused and lost or even uh, under attack by inner thoughts and feelings and really struggle with that? So actually the book of revelation is about you and swedenborg is this great resource about it because he wrote several works on it and in there he relays how these all the stories in the book of revelation and really in the entire bible are leading us from uh in our confused lost state to reconnecting with the presence of the divine within us into that so we have, we can reconnect to the Holy City and experience the water of life, which is God's love and truth flowing into our life all the time. And that's the journey we're on. And the book of Revelation shows us that. Woo! Oh, I love starting there. Like, yeah, are, are you suffering? Well, that you got my attention. That was great. I, I love that. The timing that was flawless, into, too. That was that really amazing timing. I've been thinking about the Holy City. Like when, I, when I'm... Um, before I go to sleep sometimes, if I'm trying to calm my mind down, I like imagine, I don't know if they're really like the Holy city in the book of revelation. Not that anyone asked this, but it's sort of the description of a mindset. I don't know if there really is a giant city, but I think about a giant city like that and like getting inside of it, but it's all like heaven and so great. So I love the idea of it being that sort of refuge that you're talking about. Oh, I love Visual. that. That's great. Nice. Yeah. Um, let's do another million things before we're done. Just kidding. It's, we're over time. We have to go to sleep so we can go do more Swedenborg stuff tomorrow. Thank you, everybody. Um, we had we had eight donors raised $250. Um, oh, yeah, we did have a new elevator pitch intro. That, that was from Max, one of our new team members. That was one of the first things he made for us. So thank you so much. Um, thank you, everyone who donated. That's really great. Um, and... We'll do this again next month. There's plenty of cool stuff to come in between. Oh, yeah. And that's all I'm going to say. Um, thank you, Chelsea, for hanging out. That was a lot of fun. Yes, yes, it was. I've got another elevator pitch in the books. Um, <laughs> I will say I saw somebody's comment there saying that they have ideas for Swedenborg games. We are always wanting your input. So if you have feedback on these games or ideas for other games, I think that'd be great to hear about it. So you can comment under the video. I think that'd be awesome. So this was lots of fun. Thanks, Jonathan and Curtis. And so great to be here with everybody virtually in the world who who was watching as well. And any ideas that you submit can't be worse than an elevator pitch for us to go through. Right. That's that's the that's the threshold.
Jonathan, thank you so much for hanging out. It's been so fun. And actually thinking about that fun, uh, a lot of things that go on in the name of religion and even some spirituality in our world are kind of very serious and even anxious. I love the fact that the tone of this has that lightheartedness and we don't take ourselves too seriously. And so that's been a real joy to be part of this tonight. Very cool. I, I think that's 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 the right vibe. Serious stuff doesn't mean you have to take yourself too seriously. Uh, and I just love the spirit of everybody asking the questions that, yeah, we're having fun, but we're, we're, we're really getting into trying to live it and, and have a better life. Uh, so, and thank you for everyone who wrote in for, for tackling the deep issues and like getting deep into that. And Chelsea and Jonathan, it's been awesome to hear everything that came out of you today. Thanks everybody. We'll see you again really, really soon.